first six verses. So tonight, Lord willing, time willing, we will finish this up. Uh, lesson took a little bit of a different direction here since we covered a good chunk of it last week. And we really focused on verse 6 of Genesis 15. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. We really just hit this point. It's for by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works. And we cannot stress that enough, that the way we have entrance into heaven is through Christ and Christ alone, through what he did on the cross. And just like Abraham, Abraham was not saved, was not saved by anything with the law. Abraham was not saved by anything with circumcision. Abraham was saved by faith in God, and that's how we are saved, is by faith in God as well, through Jesus Christ. So, that's where that part ends. Verse 7 kind of changes here a little bit. Because now from verse 7 on, we get into a little bit of this Old Testament plan that God has. This is his man. He wants to use Abraham. He wants to use Abraham to be the father of the Jews. But as we've mentioned many times before in our study, Abraham has no children. Abraham at this time is probably in his early 90s. He has no children to speak of. And God keeps promising him all these things. Verse 5, look now toward heaven and count the stars. So shall your descendants be. No kids. This is a faith thing. So, to confirm this, the Lord does something here. And I think this is kind of interesting. So, let's talk about how God is going to confirm to Abraham this is the plan. Verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So God basically says to Abraham, listen, I'm God. I brought you out of your homeland and I brought you this land to do this. Verse 8, I think, is an honest question. Lord, how do I know this? I mean, seriously, how do I know this? I mean, haven't you ever had that experience before as a Christian where you really felt like the Lord spoke to you? It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. And part of me is like, okay, Lord, I cling to that promise in faith. But the other part of me is like, Lord, can I really just have some confirmation? I remember when I was a new Christian and there was something I was really praying about. And I remember just being this silly thought. I was on my mom and dad's bed. And I remember I was looking out the window at the moon. And I remember praying about something. And I remember saying, Lord, can you just give me a sign? Just give me a sign. Now, at that time, I didn't know the passage. Where Paul wrote that, you know, the the heathens seek after signs. The sign that we have is the peace that God gives us in our heart. We still want that as Christians, though, don't we? Lord, can't you just give me a sign and then I'll believe that everything's going to be okay? That's not the way the system works. God says, just trust me that everything's going to be okay. He's telling Abraham here in verse 7, trust me. I'm God. I can get you through this. But there's this phrase... I am the Lord who, that, that phrase hit me because I started thinking that phrase is repeated a lot in the Bible. So this is what I want to do. I don't know what you brought into here this evening. You may have brought in health problems. You may have brought in life problems, marital problems. You may have brought in sin problems. You may have brought in doubt, despair, discouragement. I don't know what you brought in, but this phrase, I am the Lord who, there's five different things that he says in the Bible of who he is. And I just want to look at those real quick. Dustin, if you want to put that first PowerPoint up. These are just some verses that that deal with this. And I think it's kind of interesting here of these phrases of, I am the Lord who. I am the Lord that does what? And we want to look at what these different ones are and see what they are. So Dustin's going to get the PowerPoint up there. And we will take a look at this. (laughs) 
All righty there. Verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. So there's the promise of the land. And look at these phrases. First one. Exodus 15.26. I am the Lord who does what? Heals you. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? I am the Lord who heals you. Next time you're struggling with something physical, I am the Lord who heals you. That's a great one. Exodus 31.13. That you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So maybe the first one, you're, you're struggling with something physical. Isn't it nice to know that you have a God who is interested in your health? I, I think sometimes we do God a disservice, and I think we do God a disservice both ways. One way is we have a tendency to make God our last-ditch health concern. I've tried every medicine. I've tried every doctor. I've tried everything. Nothing else. Might as well seek the Lord on this. Lord, I just pray you touch and heal me. Or we do God a disservice the other way. You, you sneezed. What sin do you have in your life? Because obviously, there's some unconfessed sin that brought this cold upon you. No. Let's just trust and believe that the Lord is the God that cares about your health. And if you're struggling with something, why not ask Him? Lord, you're the God who heals. I'm going to give this to you. And He may heal you through His hand miraculously. He may heal you through the medicine. He may heal you through a doctor. I don't know how He's going to heal you. He may heal you through all of eternity, through death. But he's the God that heals you. Next one. That you may know I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. Sanctified is a fancy 25-cent word that means set you apart. God is the one that takes you out of the slop of sin and places you in a relationship with Christ. You know what the problem with that is? We have a tendency to jump back into the slop of sin. Long story short... Things happened at our house this, um, this winter that I never thought would happen before. I put it right up there with God parting the Red Sea. Dawn, on her own accord, on her own accord, wanted our outside dog to become an inside dog. Yeah, I don't know what the Lord was doing there, but we now have an inside dog. And I, I have no idea how, why. I'm a dog person, grew up with dogs. I have no problems with it. I know people are dog people. And there's people that aren't dog people that probably won't go to heaven. I know that. But Dawn doesn't... We have an inside dog. So we did the whole thing. We took her and got her bathed. We got her nails trimmed. We did everything. And all of a sudden, we have this inside dog. Well, the weather's been nice. And so we go back to the creek behind our house. So as we go back to the creek behind our house, the dog comes with us. And we're one big happy family. You know, the boys and I and the dog. When the dog gets outside, guess what the dog does? The dog does dog things. The dog came back from the creek completely covered in mud. Completely covered in mud. And now all of a sudden I asked Dawn, this dog thinks it now has a right and privilege to be inside. This dog doesn't know how to experience life outside anymore. The dog went back to the mud because that's what dogs do. What's my point? The Lord wants to sanctify you. He wants to pull you out of the slop. Sometimes we jump right back in. I mean, I, I run into people that have had victory over sins, and I talk to them again, and they're like, yeah, I did this. I'm like, why, why did you do that? Or you talk to somebody who's maybe had some struggles in life and or marriage, and you see them repeating the same problems again. And I, and I keep wondering, if you keep repeating the same problems and you get the same result, what, what do you think is going to happen? If that's the way you communicate, if that's the way you argue, if that's, it's the same thing. God wants to sanctify you. He wants to separate you. He wants to pull you out of that and make you a different person. God desires that. Next one, Leviticus. I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. That verse shows that God desires a relationship 
with you. He, he wants to bring them out of Egypt to be their God. I remember one time getting a chance to witness to a co-worker years ago. And I remember this co-worker had such what I called a business relationship with God. There was no emotion. There was none of this. He died on the cross for my sin. It did not impact them. And I sometimes run into this out here at Harvest. Oh, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And I believe in the validity of the Word of God. I believe that Christ should be the foundation of my life. Okay, where's this loving relationship with the Lord? I don't think they understand it. They believe it. They understand belief and faith. But do they really understand that God desires to have a relationship with you? I mean, He, he wants a daily relationship with you. He wants you to give you his, your concerns and your problems. And he, he wants to be the Father where you come set on His knees, spiritually speaking, saying, Lord... I'm struggling. I'm hurting. He wants that. Let's go to the next one here. What else is he? Ezekiel 7, 9, I will repay you according to your ways, and your abominations will be in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. See, that one I could have left out, but I didn't. This is also the God who judges. He's the God who heals. He's the God who sanctifies. He's the God that desires to be our God. He's also the God who judges sin. And for some reason, we have reached a point as a church, and I mean collectively as the body of Christ, where we're, we're afraid to mention this point. If you're talking to a non-believer, oh, God loves you. He loves you so much. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. And we walk away with all this cotton candy feel. Oh, God loves me. God loves you, but there's also sin that has to be dealt with. And he's the God who strikes and this is not mean, nasty God. This is a God that says sin has to be judged. Sin has to be judged. I, this is my favorite one, last one, Isaiah 44. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, He who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. The God who makes all things. You've heard me make this point numerous times out here. If we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days... What are you possibly facing which is bigger than that? If you believe God has created something out of nothing, what struggle do you have in your marriage, with your kids, with your health, at home, at work, that is bigger than creating something out of nothing? There is nothing bigger than that. So with all this put together, when I see this phrase here in verse 7, I am the Lord who? Well, I don't know what God you need tonight. But there's a God who wants to heal. There's a God who wants to sanctify. There's a God that desires a relationship with you. There's a God that's going to judge sin. And there's also a God who's created all things that says, I can handle this. That is so reassuring. And whatever you brought in here tonight, there is the Lord that wants to be your God. Your personal relationship with Christ. You can shut that down, Dustin, if you want. goes back to verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He's basically telling Abraham... I'm the God that brought you here. I will take care of you. The rest of this chapter is God confirming this to Abraham, which we will talk about. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments on anything thus far of I'm the God who? And then you can fill in the blank from there. All right. Let's talk about this. How does he confirm this? Verse 9, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two 
down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. How, what a strange thing. Can you imagine? If you're praying to the Lord, Lord, I am struggling with this decision. Will you please give me wisdom? And so God speaks to you. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and, and you go cut them. And you put, you put the pieces on each side. And you do this. Somebody pops over to your house and says, what are you doing? I'm just confirming the promise of God. Now, this makes absolutely no sense to us. And the reason this makes no sense to us is because we didn't live in Middle Eastern culture. In Middle Eastern culture, this is how you made a deal. If you and I were going to make a deal back during Abraham's time, we would make the deal, we'd make the arrangements, and what we would do is we'd take these animals, we would cut them in half, put them on each side, and then what would happen is you and I would walk through these animals. With the symbolism being, if one of us breaks this covenant, may it happen to us as it happened to these animals. Now, some cultures today still do this. I'm kind of glad when we bought our house, we didn't have to. But some cultures still make legal deals like this. Now, you may be saying in verse 10, why did he not cut the birds in two? Well, this is a foreshadowing of the law because according to the law, you weren't supposed to do that. The animals were so small to cut them in two would totally obviously disintegrate them, if you will. So, Abram's doing this. Now, what does Abram do? Verse 11... Birds are coming. He drives them away. Then Abram, in verse 12, falls asleep. And as he falls asleep, it looks like he has the nightmare of all nightmares. Let's build on this. Verse 13, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at good old age. When in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between these pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants... I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenzanites, the Candamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. But let's just state the facts first, and then we'll go back and talk about what it means. God wants to make a deal with Abraham. Abraham takes animals, cuts them up, splits them up on the side. Abraham keeps the birds away from the carcasses. Abraham falls asleep. Abraham has the worst nightmare anybody has ever seen. And while he's having this nightmare, God appears to him. And also this burning torch and oven walks through these pieces of flesh and carcass, and therefore the chapter ends. And this is how you spent your Wednesday night. What is going on here? Well, let's talk about what this stuff means. Verse, um, let's go with right here, verse 17. Smoking oven, burning torch represent the Lord. Represents judgment when you study this out. What God is trying to say here is there is going to be a judgment that comes. And he represents the Lord. He is the God who judges. Note who's the only thing that passes through the animals. God. What is Abraham doing during all this? He is sleeping. Let's build on this. Can you go with me to Matthew 26, please? Matthew 26. This is supposed to be a deal between Abraham and God. That's what it's supposed to represent. 
And the way Abraham takes the deal is he is sleeping through it. Matthew 26. Matthew 26 is the chapter where Jesus is in the garden praying, getting ready to go to the cross. And what you have here in Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, they come to the garden. And Jesus says, hey, sit here while I go pray over there. And he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, John and James. And he's praying. Verse 38, he is, he's hurting here emotionally. He's in anguish. Verse 39, he goes a little farther and he prays and he's praying and he's asking these guys, pray with me. Verse 40, and then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray unless you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now the reason I bring this passage up to you is this spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That word for weak in the original language literally means the flesh has no strength. The flesh has no strength. I run into this every now and then, and I remember I was talking to a guy years ago, and and his marriage was falling apart. And every time I talked to him about it, he would always tell me, I know what I need to do. I I just need to buck up a little bit. I just need to try a little harder. I just need to do this. And there was all this I need to. And I remember I kept trying to tell him, you can't fix your marriage. If you could fix your marriage, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. I have come to the conclusion as a Christian, as a pastor, my flesh is weak. I have no strength. I can't do anything. I I can't do anything. I can point you towards Scripture. I can point you towards Jesus. And then you have to take that. If you're sitting here tonight and you still think that you have power to do something, you're mistaken. You don't have the power to say no to sin. If you had the power to say no to sin, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he give us the Holy Spirit? You don't have the power to live a righteous life. You don't have the power to make a marriage work. You don't have the power to raise kids to accept Christ. You don't have the power to live pure in an impure world. This verse is telling me in verse 41, your flesh has no strength. Now the Spirit is willing. I mean, you desire it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And when you try to do it, you're going to keep getting frustrated again and again and again because you're going to say, I'm putting all this effort into it and nothing changes. Well, maybe you need to quit putting so much effort into it. It's not your effort. It's the Lord. Maybe you need more, more fasting, more prayer, more scripture. The problem is we look at that and say, well, I'm not doing anything. No, you're doing a lot. That's the best you can do. That I will pray for my kids, my family, my marriage, my ministry, my witness, my temptations. I'll I'll give it to the Lord in prayer because my flesh is weak. My flesh has no strength. And if I still think I can do it, I'm fooling myself. What did Abraham do? He slept. Do you notice that God waited to confirm the covenant till Abraham was asleep? You know when I'm most effective for the Lord? When I'm sleeping. Because I can't screw anything up. I don't snap at the kids in my sleep. I don't argue with Dawn in my sleep. I don't have improper thoughts. I'm not doing things inappropriately. When I'm sleeping, it's probably the most righteous I could ever be. Abraham was most effective for God when he fell asleep. When Abraham fell asleep, the Lord said, I will now pass through the carcasses to confirm the covenant. Abraham should have walked with God because it showed a deal. There was no deal because God realized, Abraham, you you can't offer anything. He he can't. See, we still think we could offer something to the Lord. We we can't. 
I did nothing except nail Jesus to the cross. Abraham did nothing except sleep. Now, if you're quick, you'll think, well, wait a second. He did do something. For a while, he kept the birds away. And I think that is something important there. If you look throughout the Bible, generally speaking, birds represent evil. I think that we do have a spiritual responsibility as much as we can to keep the evil birds away from our covenant with God. Now, ultimately, the covenant is based on God and God alone walking through the carcasses. It's not us, but we have a responsibility. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know what? Pastor James said I'm completely weak. So, it's not my fault. Honey, I want to love you as Christ loved the church, but James said I can't do it. No, I have a responsibility to keep the birds awake. I have a responsibility to say, you know what, I don't want to watch that program. I don't want to listen to that song. I have a responsibility to say, I don't want to respond in anger. I don't want to respond in the flesh. I want to keep the birds awake. But ultimately speaking, Lord, I I can't do this. I, I need you. I need you and you alone. And that's exactly what happened here with Abraham. It it almost seems like the Lord is just up there in heaven twiddling his thumbs saying, You know, Abraham, as soon as you fall asleep, I can confirm the covenant. We can move on. But the longer you stay awake, the more I just have to wait. I wonder in our lives, relationships, witnesses, how much more effective would we be if we would just step back and say, Lord, I'm a complete, utter failure. I can't do this. In the name of Jesus, give me strength. That's what Abraham did. The torch and the oven represent this judgment. Jump back, if you will, to Genesis 15. Some prophecy here. Why in verse 12 was there horror and darkness? Because in verse 13, God is hinting to Abraham, you're going to go to Egypt. Your people will be in slavery for 400 years. But, verse 14, I will judge Egypt and you'll come out blessed, which they did. Verse 15, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. But you know what? There's this Amorite thing that we still got to take care of, and that's what happens here, is we got to still take care of the promised land, because the promised land is yours, Abraham. But these groups that are here, the Canaanites, Kenzanites, Hittites, Perizzites, etc., these are pockets of sin that are going to have to be dealt with. This is a really honest assessment of the Christian walk. Look at this. This is you and I. Verse 15, we will die in peace. Now, I don't know what age you will die in peace. But you will die in peace because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you know what? Verse 12, there's some horror and darkness in in our lives. There really is. Do we still trust God through all this? It goes back to our first point. I am the Lord who heals you, sanctifies you, wants to be your God, created you, strikes you. Okay, God, there's, there's, there's tough times in my life. And one thing I've really noticed with Christians lately... We really have become pretty spiritual wimpy. We really have. When you look through what some of these men and women of the Bible went through, and I look at what happens in our lives, oh my goodness, we have such a tendency to give up on God when we get something called a spiritual hangnail. Oh, guys, we as a body of Christ, and I don't mean harvest, I mean the church and the world, we need to toughen up a little bit. We really do. If we really want to be witnesses for the Lord in a rough, tough world, we can't get shaken so much. If God has created the heavens and the earth like we just read and studied, we we need to realize my foundation in Christ is never shaken. It never is. But yet I see Christians, their walk with Christ is really like a house of cards. One little bump and the whole thing comes tumbling down. 
God's telling Abraham, there'll be darkness, there'll be horror. But you know what, Abraham? You're going to die in peace. And I'm going to take care of your descendants. Now, Abraham, you either trust me or you don't. Same thing happens in your life. You are going to have ups and downs. You may have come in tonight and you're having a spiritual high right now. Amen. You know there's going to be tough times coming. You may come in tonight and you may be in a spiritual low. doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. We've got to be careful with these ups and downs in life. God has called us to be men and women that are mature in the Lord, that handles the ups and downs of life because we realize Christ is the foundation of everything we do. And how did Christ become the foundation? Because I fell asleep. And he said, okay, since you're asleep now, I can take care of all this for you. Remember, you have no strength. I will take care of everything. But hey, if you want, keep the birds awake. I can do that. And whatever birds come into your life, your marriage, your relationship, your kids, you've got to shoo them away. But ultimately, it's the Lord. It's the Lord alone that will take care of you. It's not you. You can't throw it on your shoulders and fix it. It's Christ and Christ alone. Anybody have any final thoughts here they want to share before we close up? Yeah, surely. Oven and the torch. My take on the oven and the torch is just as in an oven is heated and things are cooked and baked and it's difficult, it's hot. That's what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. They're going to go to Egypt for 400 years and it's going to be an oven. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. They're going to be baked. They're going to be cooked. But they're going to come out of it. I take the torch as a torch as a picture of light. A torch is a picture of direction. And even though they're going through this difficult, horrible time in Egypt, God is still the light that guides and directs them and that will eventually take them out. That's my take on that. Ryan. Oh, I see what you're saying. Was it, was it a lateral or was it a... Um, I'm going to say it was cross this way. That's my take on it. Every time I've ever visualized that. Because if I see it the other way, I wouldn't want the hindquarter end. You know, I wanna, let's, make it, let's make it symmetrical. I think that's the best way to make it half. So that's, that to me is half. It's an equal half on each side. And that idea then once again of it's, it's a split. It's been split. Anybody else have anything? I want to finish with this. You can turn there if you want. If not, you can just listen. Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I guess I want to finish with this. God is able to do more than you can ever imagine. Because there's a power that works in us. Not, not my strength. Not my ability. But there's a power in us, and God is able to do above and beyond whatever we say or think. So if there is something right now in your life that has brought you down, and you've kind of reached the point of saying, Woe is me, it's over, it's never going to get better. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly whatever you say or think. Because there's a power that works in you. If nothing else, and you walk out of here tonight, Walk out of here tonight knowing that you are not capable of doing anything. It's the Lord that has to do it all. What a relief that is, that it's off our shoulders. I I don't want to carry that burden uh, on me. I really don't. Lord, thank you for being the God that waited till I fell asleep to walk through to make the covenant. Thank you, Lord. So, hey, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. Thank you for being a God, a God who heals, a God who sanctifies, a God who desires to be our God, a God who judges, and a God who creates. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for realizing we have no strength. We bring nothing to the table. And you still love us. And Lord, also thank you for being a God that's able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we say or think. We thank you for that. And Lord, I just want to lift up one more prayer request I just remembered. There are a young woman battling cancer. Um, somebody contacted today about that. And I just want to lift up her and her family and just pray to your hand of health and healing to be upon her in all ways. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless and we'll catch you next week.